Masechet Ketubot of Ein Tet. We're dealing with this partnership of sorts between a husband and wife where a wife uh, inherits or otherwise brings in land, property into the marriage. And so during the, during the marriage, if, this, if they are designated as Nikse Melog, uh, that would mean that she keeps the uh, title to the property, but the husband gets to enjoy the income from that property. Uh, so we'll see some various cases. We start off with a certain woman who wants to distance, hide her assets from her husband. This woman wanted to uh, distance her property from her husband so that she was about to get married and she had had some a property and she did not want her husband to have access to its income and so she wrote a document gifting it to her daughter and that way it's under her daughter's uh, her property and therefore her husband will not have any uh, access to it. She had a daughter from a previous marriage. Um, this woman then uh, then married, and so during the marriage, um, the husband did not get the profits from it. And in the end, this woman got divorced. And now that she got divorced, she's single, she wants to get her land back from her daughter. Is she allowed to do that? She comes to Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman tore up the document of transfer, uh, the gift document to her, her daughter, meaning, yes, she can get it back. It was obvious to Rav Nachman that this was uh, not a real gift, but rather a ruse to keep it out of the hands of her husband. Uh, like sometimes today in divorce cases or in bankruptcy cases, people will transfer their, um, their money, their uh, uh, um, property to other relatives to shield them from being collected. Um, so this is an early precedent for that practice. I'm not sure if it's legal today, um, but uh, it was legal in Talmudic times. And uh, eventually, Rav Anan went to Mor Ukva and Mor Ukva and told him about this case. Uh, Morukva says, oh, look at this, uh, how this master, Nachman, he calls him like by, by his first name. Morukva, remember, was the exilarch, so he was, uh, he was the important figure. He was the governor of the Jewish community in Bavel. And so he's, he's, he speaks disparagingly of Rav Nachman, this farmer, meaning this simple person, uh, 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 suggesting, he, suggesting he's not so learned. Look how he just... Tears up people's documents. How do you do that? How do you go take a legitimate document and tear it up? So he, uh, Morukva, was against Rav Nachman's ruling. He felt once you give it as a gift to the daughter, the daughter can come and say, she gave it, my mother gave it to me, it's mine, she can't take it back. But uh, Morukva nevertheless asked, uh, what's uh, t tell me about the case uh, exactly what happened and so Amale told him this is exactly what happened uh, she got she was, she was getting married and uh, she got divorced and so on oh I didn't realize the background of the story you're talking about a document of evasion he didn't realize that uh, she was uh, she wrote this document only before she got married that it was in order to hide her assets so now 
now that he said that, Hachi amarav hanilai bar idi amar Shemuel, more hora'a ani, im yavoshetar mabrachat liyadai, ak ekra aenum. So, in fact, Morukva says, I agree in that case, and he quotes Shemuel, who says, I am a, 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 um, a authority on halachic rulings, which he was, and he says, if a, this type of uh, document comes to me, I will tear it up. In other words, at the not during, it's, it is valid uh, during the marriage to hide the wife's assets so that the husband can't enjoy the fruits. And once the uh, wife is done and wants to get her um, land back, once your marriage ends, then he's, Shemuel says, you can tear it up. And this is a, a legal loophole. And it is just that a loophole. She uh, deserves to get her land back. We'll discuss in a second how, why that works. So Rava is asking Rav Nachman, who used the who uh, um, is the original one that tore up the document. Right? What is the reason for your action? How come you tear up the document? I know why. Because you assume a person is not going to uh, leave his own interests and give it to some someone else. A person is not going to give away all this property uh, and and uh, be left with nothing. And so that's how we know that if a person gives away all his property, it must mean that they're only hiding, trying to hide their assets, but they don't really want to give it away. But here's the thing, Rava says, we can only assume that that would be true if I give it away to someone else who's not related to me. No one would take all of his assets and give it to an unrelated person. So if he does that, it's obvious that he um, this is uh, only uh, an evasion. Uh, but to a, one's own daughter, maybe he does. People often give their uh, give their property, give a large portion uh, of their estate to their children, even while they're alive. And so a person may very well do that. Therefore, maybe it was a real gift and not just an evasion. Uh, but we answer, even a, uh, even a person in relation to his own daughter, nevertheless, is going to prefer himself. No one wants to leave themselves completely where um with with complete completely uh with nothing and so a person still would not you might give a, a, a you know some some gift to one's children but you're not going to give uh the the majority of your land uh to even to your own children and leave yourself with nothing and so in fact yes we know it's uh it was only as an as an evasion and therefore the gift can be returned Okay, a challenge to Shemuel's statement and Rav Nachman who used this. If a woman wants to uh, hide her property from her husband, what should she do? She should write a document of persuasion uh, to others, meaning she's going to persuade a, a, a relative or a friend to uh, sign this document saying, I am receiving this property, even though they know it's a fake, so that the friend will not actually come and live in it and acquire it and sell it or anything like that. You get someone who you can trust um, that will write this for you and, and help you out, and that way, eventually, you can get it back. 
when the marriage is over, the wife will be able to get it back. This is the minority opinion of Rabban Shimon Megamliel, who says this works. So this this opinion would agree with Shemuel Rav Nachman, but the Braita says there's a majority opinion. Otherwise, Chachamim Omerim, Rasa Mesachek Ba Al Shetichtob Lo Mehayom Ve'Lich Sheerse. So Chachamim say if the receiver of the of this gift, the one who uh, signs this Shtar Pasim, can deceive her and keep the keep that keep the uh, possession uh, keep the property in his possession you say you know you gave it to me as a gift and uh, therefore i'm keeping it and so if you want that not to happen then you have to write in that document i the wife has to write i am giving you this gift from today until i decide i want it back so it's a gift with strings attached, and so the wife can always go and get it back. Otherwise, if you don't write that that, that phrase, then the one you gave it to can go and take it back. Um, apparently, there are some people who try to evade taxes by not putting their income in their own name, but leaving it in an escrow account of a lawyer. So it's never on their own name. They don't have to pay taxes. But there was a case where a lot of people were doing that and to giving it to one lawyer and the lawyer ran away with everyone's money. And so, right, this is a problem. You want to try to evade the, um, the, the husband, but it could end up backfiring on her if the person that you gifted to actually goes and keeps it. Okay, so according to Chachamim, it doesn't work unless you write this phrase. Okay, the only reason why this works is because you have to write this phrase, but if you didn't write the phrase, then the purchaser or the person you gifted it to actually acquires it and it's totally theirs and you can't get it back. Uh, so we see a contradiction. Has Shemuel said, this kind of gift works and Chachamim say no it doesn't work unless you write this phrase so which one is it how could Shemuel go against the Braita and follow just a minority opinion so the Bizarra says, no, they're not contradicting each other. Rather, the ruling of Shemuel that says it works if you gift it or or do some kind of fake sale, uh, then it, he can the wife can always get it back. That's when she gives away all of her property because it's obvious no one would give away all of their property in their lifetime, leave themselves with nothing. So then it's obvious that this was um, a a loophole and not a real gift and so she can get it back but if it's only part of the property sometimes people do give a gift of part of their property certainly to their children maybe to an, a friend as well and so in that case that that's where the chachamim of the spadaita we're talking about where you have to write in that phrase because it wouldn't be uh, so clear to an onlooker that uh, the person does not mean it as a full gift Okay, and so now we go back to the uh, this whole mechanism. How does this whole mechanism work? Because after all, if the buyer does not actually acquire it, and the bride and the wife can take it back at any time, then really it does in fact belong to the woman because the buyer it's, it's a fake sale. And if it does belong to the wife, then the husband will have in fact access to it and should be able to acquire to uh, enjoy the income from from it. It says here to acquire it, not that the husband will take it and keep it. The husband can't keep it forever, but he can uh, take it and use it 
for the duration of the marriage. So in other words, you get one or the other. Either it's a real sale gift to that relative um, and fine, but then she, well, the wife can't get it back. Or it's a fake sale, and so the wife can get it back, but if, then, if it's a fake sale, then the husband should be able to get the produce Rabbi explains that this whole mechanism, this loophole, is following the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, the was the very end of the of the previous Mishnah, who said that if there are is property that's not known to the husband, then that's off limits. All right, we define that as if it's in a foreign country, and so he doesn't know about it, he doesn't have access to it, then he does not enjoy the income, even though she does own it and so this would be the same thing even though it's it might be here right next door uh this property but because she shielded it by doing this uh uh this uh quasi gift or sale to someone else so that is sufficient to make it that she owns it but it's not known to the husband and so he does not have access to its produce very good. Next Mishnah. Naflu la kesafim yilakach bahen karka v'hu ochel perot. Until now we were dealing with a case where the wife inherits or brings in some land. Land is good because you have the principal, the land itself, that remains. So she always has access to that. And it also produces income which the husband can get. What if, however, she inherits... Uh, or any way that she acquires uh, money, cash. And in that case, well, this is not, not as convenient because if uh, the cash all goes to the husband and he just spends it, then she's left with nothing. On the other hand, if she keep, they keep the cash in a bank account of some sort, they didn't have banks so they keep it you know, in a, under their mattress, well, then it's not producing any income and then he loses out. So we want uh, we want to have a, a situation where you can have both. So the Mishnah says you take the money and you should buy land with it. And then once you have the land, so the um, a- amount of the mon- money that she's bringing into the marriage, she will be able to take out at the end. That's the value of the land. And during the marriage, he will be able to enjoy the fruit. So this is a good this is a good deal. This is a good investment. It will preserve both the principal and allow for income. Same thing, if she brings fruit into the, so not cash, but you know, merchandise or actual fruit into the marriage. So in this case, he doesn't get the fruit because the fruit here is the principal that she's bringing in. In the usual case, she owns the land, the fruit is the income. But here, since she's bringing in fruit, the fruit is the principal. And so if he just takes it all and spends it all, she'll have nothing left. So we treat the fruit like the cash and we buy land with it. She retains the title to the land and he enjoys whatever the fruit that the land produces. Now, next case is Perota Mechubarim Bakarka. She brings in land with fruit on it that's still attached. So at the time that of the marriage, she's bringing in both land and the fruit is now still there. So what's the status of that that um, uh, produce, that um, uh, season, the next season, whatever grows, will belong to the husband. But at, at, th- at this point, 
um, it's not harvested, so and she's bringing it in with the fruit. So what's the status? Uh, it's going to be Meir because she's bringing it in with the fruit so that she retains the title to the land and she owns that crop of fruit for that season. So how do you, uh, there, since she owns it, so how are we going to uh, evaluate it? So here's how you do it. We make an evaluation, an assessment. We bring an assessor in and we ask, uh, we uh, assess, how much is this land worth with the fruit on it and how much is the land worth without the fruit on it and so the difference between those is belongs to her uh, that that money belongs the whole land belongs to her but she'll get the land back at the end that pro that the the first produce belongs to her and so he will take out of his pocket money equal to that amount of the, of the difference meaning that crop and with that money the right whatever is in between he will buy land with it and after that then he could take that crop and all future crop that that land and the land that he buys will produce he can keep so that way the um what the 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 fruit that she's bringing into the marriage that's still attached to the ground uh that is part of the principle and so that will be converted to land and remain with her disagree with Rabbi Meir and say the, just like the husband enjoys the produce of the land throughout the marriage he even enjoys that first crop even though she brought it in already so she you don't have to do any of this he she just retains the title to that land and he enjoys even the first crop will agree that any fruit that's detached from the ground this is the same as the as the first case above here this is just like cash that she brings into the marriage so she it is hers and she wants to preserve that the value of it so therefore if it's not attached to the ground then he should buy land with it and then he can consume the produce of that land all right rabbi shimon omer makom sheipa kocho benichnisata hura kocho biyisiata makom sheura kocho bichnisata yipa kocho biyisiata the mishnah ends with a statement of rabbi shimon rabbi shimon seems to be saying the same thing as chachamim uh, the Gemara will ask why is he saying the same thing, uh, but he's formulating it in a kind of interesting paradox. So he's noting that any place where a man's right is superior during at the beginning of the marriage, uh, then his rights will be inferior at the end of the marriage. And the opposite, any place where the man's rights are inferior when he gets married, they will be on the up, he will have the upper hand superior when he they divorce at the end of the marriage. Okay, Kesad, what, how, how does this apply? Fruit that is connected to the ground, and so therefore that is, according to Chachamim, it's considered his, right? He gets it, even though it's the first crop uh, that she brings in, nevertheless, that's still called fruit. That is the income of the land. So therefore, at the beginning of the marriage, it belongs to him. Uh, whereas at the end of the marriage, if they get divorced before the crop is harvested, then she takes back her land with the 
fruit on it. So fruit connected to the ground, she keeps. So you see his right is inferior at the end. And the opposite for Telushin Minakarka, if she just brings in regular fruit, not connected to the ground, that's the same as cash. When she brings it in, that is now not the income, but that's the principle. The fruit itself is the principle. So it belongs to her. And therefore, that's why he has to sell it and buy land with it. But at the end of the marriage, uh, he keeps it because um, if, it's, if there's just fruit that he got from her land, then at the end of it, he, he already harvested it, he uh, is able to keep it. So um, each one has a both a benefit uh, for this person and that person. Okay, Pishita. Now we're going to ask about the relative value of the following investments. So some good investment advice. If you have a choice of uh, buying either land or a house, like let's say one of the spouses, the husband or the wife says, you know why we should buy land. The other one says, uh, a house, land is a better buy. It's more durable. It will produce. If the choice is between houses and palm trees, houses are more durable than palm trees. Palm trees and other types of trees, uh, other types of uh, palm trees win out. Um, between um, regular trees and um, grapevines. Grapevines are very delicate, so the regular trees are better. The first item in each of the pair is always the one that's more durable and therefore should be the preferable one. The point is that we want to keep uh, the wife's um, uh, property intact so that at the end of the marriage, she will be able to uh, take it out with her and use it to uh, to uh, sustain herself. Okay. Abba ze radta ufera de chavre. Amri la pera va amri la karna. Now the following items, we're not sure, should they be considered like land, uh, like uh, a principle, and that she keeps it, or should they be considered like a cash or like fruit uh, in which uh, they should be sold uh, to buy land. So uh, these are items that are going to be consumed and depleted. So if uh, a wife, she inherits a forest of these hawthorn trees, uh, this is the hawthorn fruit, which is not usable. And so therefore the fruit is not going to, um, to afford anything, but rather it's just the trees themselves that will be cut down for wood. But eventually they there'll be there won't be any any more trees anymore so this uh, um is will be depleted or fida this should not this uh, a vocalization is a mistake here uh pida is different from peda not to be confused peda means fruit pida means a ditch or a pool or pond of fish if you have a pond of fish that's not regenerating it's not connected to a river and so once you deplete the fish, there will be no more fish. Uh, what is the status of that? Uh, so some say that the wood and the fish are like produce. Uh, in other words, the man, the husband, can keep the forest and the, and the pond and consume the wood and the fish until they are depleted because the land is still there, the pool is still there. Uh, so they are like produce. But others say that the wood and fish themselves are like the principal and they do not replenish. And so therefore, they are like cash. You would have to 
take this whole thing, sell it, and buy something that is replenishable, like land. Regarding trees, this is the principle, if the trunk renews itself, and you cut off a piece of it, it'll regrow, well then, that is produce. He can keep, the, he can, he can keep those trees and enjoy the continual cutting off of the branches because the trunk will renew. But if it's the type of tree that once you cut it, it will not renew, well, then that is the principle itself. The tree, the wood is the principle, and therefore he can't just take it all and leave her with nothing. He'd have to sell it and buy something like land. So we know this is in the name of Rabbi Oshaya, and name would be Anai, but the, 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 the direct person who said it is either Rabbi Zara or Rabbi Abba. However, it is said, Hagonev velad behemat melog meshalem tashtome kefel laisha. Okay, just like I could have land that's melog, so, so, so too you can have an animal that's melog, meaning she keeps the title to the animal. But anything the animal produces will belong to the husband, meaning the husband can take the animal and milk it or um, use it to work the land. But what about offspring of the animal? Do we consider the offspring of the animal to be an increase in the principle and so belongs to her? Or is that something that the animal produces in income and therefore belongs to him? Well, these rabbis said that if a, someone comes and steals the offspring of the animal, then the thief has to pay double back to the wife, which would mean it belongs to her. The, so that means the offspring belong to her. So the offspring is considered part of the principle that's what that that's what they would uh, that's what they these sages rule we ask keman who does this follow uh, apparently not not like the rabbis and not like Hananya in the following beraita detanya velad behemat melog labal velad shivcha melog laisha hachamim say that the child of an animal is, uh, this type of animal where she keeps the title to it it goes to the husband uh, unlike the child of a maidservant where the wife keeps that child uh, whereas Hananya ben Achi Yoshiyao Amar Asu Velad Shivchat Melog Kivlad Behemat Melog, he says they are both the same, and the child of the maidservant is the same, uh, has the same status as the child of the animal, and both go to the husband. Okay, so now there is a machloket regarding uh, the child of a maidservant, but both agree that the child, the offspring of an animal, goes to the husband, and therefore in this case. When uh, this animal had a child and was stolen, the thief should pay back the husband because he owned the offspring and not the wife. So uh, who are they following? It's like neither opinion in this baraita. And we answer, In fact, these sages, right? remember, and this is all in the name of Rabbi Yanai, Rabbi Yanai can follow all of the sages in this uh, baraita. Why? Pera takinu le rabanan. Pera de pera lo takinu le rabanan. The rabbi said that a husband can enjoy the produce of land or an animal, yes. But produce of produce, no. So it's true that the, the offspring of the animal will belong to the husband. But when it's stolen and he's paying back, so that double payment is a kind of income that one is getting 
from the uh, from the offspring itself. So yes, the husband gets the direct offspring, but the grandchildren, so to speak, of the animal, that's the animal's offspring, and now payment for that offspring is um, further, a next level step of income that is being made from the offspring. So that goes back to the, uh, to the wife. Okay, so that explains it. Okay, Now we want to understand what is the logic of each of these opinions in the Braita, according to Hananya, who says it's the same. A maidservant and animal are the same. Uh, they both go to the husband. The reason is because we don't worry about death. That's nice not to worry about death at all. But here we're talking specifically about the death, uh, death of the mother, animal or the the maidservant um, and uh, therefore we assume that this animal this maidservant will be around uh, at the end of the marriage and the wife will be able to retrieve it so since she has principle that will remain alive therefore the offspring the child can go to the husband but according to Rabbanan, why would he make a distinction between humans and animals if he worries about death, meaning eventually this animal, this maidservant is going to die, and he um, uh, worries and assumes that it very well may die before the end of the marriage. Um, in that case, uh, regarding the maidservant or the animal, he should agree that the child of the animal uh, should not go to the husband because if the husband gets the child and the mother dies, that will leave the wife with nothing. So um, so then that should be true for both cases. And if he's not worrying about death, like Hananya, and we assume that the mother will remain alive and the husband and the wife will get it back, well then, regarding the maidservant, he should agree that the, uh, we don't worry about death, and therefore the child of the maidservant can go to the husband. Which one is it? Either, either you worry about both the human and animal, or worry about neither. And the answer is, He does, in fact, worry about death. But he does worry about death. That's why, the, in the case of the maidservant, he's going to get the, the wife, will get the child. But in the case of an animal, even if the animal dies, there is still a lot of value in its hide. And so the wife will still keep that hide, keep the value of that hide, and take it with her at the end of the marriage. So it won't be a total loss for her. She does keep the, the principle. So alive or dead, she gets that animal, and it's worth something, whereas a maidservant who's alive is worth something. A maidservant who's not alive is not worth anything. Amar Ravuna Barchia Amar Shemuel Halacha Hananya. Uh, so Shemuel says we follow the law like Hananya, that um, there's no difference between the maidservant or the animal, they both belong to the husband. So even though we follow Hananya, and the children of the maidservants therefore will go to the husband, but he agrees that once they divorce, she can give money, pay the husband for those children and keep them because of the uh, the benefit of her paternal uh, family. In other words, she brought into the marriage this maidservant from her family, and they want to keep this lineage in their in their family. So even though she does not have a right to the child, 
uh, itself, but she kind of have, has first right of to, to buy it, to uh, buy the child so that they can keep that family of uh, servants in their, in their estate, in her father's estate. If she brings into the marriage a goat and it will produce milk during the marriage or a sheep it will produce wool shearings or a hen that will produce eggs or a palm tree that will produce uh, fruits um, the so the law is the husband can eat it, eat uh, benefit from the fruits, from the milk, from the shearings, from the eggs, um, from the dates until and until the principle dries up. If it's an if it's a goat, eventually it'll dry up and stop giving milk. But that's okay. So the principle is does is remains in existence. So she keeps the principle. And even though these are items that event these are all principle unlike land that will continue producing forever these have a limited duration but nevertheless that they, they, that is their produce amad of nachman ayla lel gelima perahave mechase be veazil ad de khaliyad of nachman said uh, the same would be true regarding a cloak that she brings in so she retains the title to the cloak but the usage of the cloak meaning the benefit of wearing it that is its produce, that's its income. And so therefore the man, the husband, can use it and cover himself with it until it's worn out. And then the worn out garment, that's the principle that remains, and she can keep that. What good is a worn out garment? We saw before, use it in the summertime when you want a thinner uh, a thinner garment. Okay, Keman, now who, who, to, who does this? Uh, opinion follow de tanya. In other words, we're talking about something that eventually dries up, uh, like these animals or like this cloak, that it can still be considered principal. Whose opinion is that? Um, it's the following tana de tanya. If she brings into the marriage some location of sand, uh, salt or sand, is some area on the shore where salt water is constantly coming in, and so the salt deposits. Uh, in that area on that beach or sand that continually deposits on the beach and so you can go and collect salt or sand from there so this is replenishable so certainly that area is the um is the principal and the salt and the sand are the produce that uh, the husband can c- continually take everyone agrees with that here's the machloket is about pier shel gofrit machporet shel sarif a quarry or, of sulfur or of alum uh, this is what a sulfur uh, deposit looks like and uh, this once you take the sulfur it does not replenish or the alum that's used for dyes and other things it does not replenish so this is this eventually will be depleted what is the law so he says that the the sulfur and the alum that you take from it are the principal and therefore he can't just come and take take all of it there'll be nothing left instead he would have to sell it and buy land say the sulfur and the alum that you take are the income are the produce he can take even if he takes it all because in the end there will still be left that area the uh, the area of the mine of the quarry that she keeps even though it's not going to produce anything more so the uh, Rav Nachman uh, and Rava here can follow 
the um, uh, Rav Nachman, right, can follow the opinion of Chachamim, who say you can benefit from something that, uh, from the use of something, even though it dries up and no longer produces, as long as there is something left. Uh, that was we can consider the principle. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Makom The statement of Rabbi Shimon that restated what Chachamim say with that paradox form. We ask Rabbi Shimon, Aren't they the same thing? Rabbi Shimon is the same opinion as the Chachamim there. Uh, there's a practical difference between them if it was. Uh, attached at the time of the end of the marriage. Uh, the rabbis would say that belongs to him, whereas Rabbi Shimon, it's evident from the language of a parad- his paradox, say that that would belong to her. And now we get to the uh, last Mishnah. If she brings in and inherits and brings into the marriage uh, slaves or maidservants that are elderly, and so they um, most likely will die soon before the end of the marriage, and then she'll end up with nothing at the end of the marriage. So therefore, they should be sold, and you should buy land with them, and he will therefore uh, then uh, enjoy the in, the fruits of the land uh, during the marriage, and then she'll take the land back at the end of the marriage. That's Tanakama. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Lotim Kor Mepnei Shevach Bet Aviha. He would say, no, he cannot force her to sell it um, because this is the assets of her family. And uh, they, you know, they, they got to know, to my human beings, they got to know they are the servants and uh, therefore he can't just go and sell them um, because they have uh, an emotional attachment to them. Uh, even though that may mean that they will die and then she won't be left with them. The same law regarding uh, olive trees or grape vines that are elderly. They have, you know, they, they last a certain amount of time. Then they're going to die. Also, those should be sold and buy land. So, and then he will consume the fruit because if you keep the vines and they die, she will have nothing left. Rabbi Yehuda says the same law um, as Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, but applies it to the olive trees and uh, the grapevines that uh, this uh, also have sentimental value. And they were in the families of her family for a while, so she can say, no, I want to keep them. Amar Rav Kahana Amar Rav. So Rav says this machloket between the Tanakama and the Biuda is only if those uh, olive trees and grapevines are in her own land, then she can say, um, I want to keep them because even if they die, she still will retain the land. But if she owns grapevines in someone else's on someone else's land, and that would mean once the grapevines grapevines die, then she will have nothing. Uh, then everyone would agree that they should be sold. Even a biyuda would agree they should be sold uh, because the principle will be gone, and so that will um, override the, uh, the the concern that there is um, that they belong to the father's house and sentimental value or anything like that. 
um, because then she'll be left with nothing. Matkif la Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef disagrees, um, uh, challenges the statement of Rav or this version of it. Look, you have uh, the first half. Um, the uh, argument about servants and maidservants, and that is similar to uh, grapevines on land that's not hers. Just like grapevines on lands that's not hers, once the grapevines die, she will be left with nothing. So too, the uh, maids and maidservants, once they die, she will be left with nothing. And yet, you still have a machloket, so the machloket should be able to apply in both cases. So rather, let's reformulate to make it make more sense. This is actually what I've said. The machloket here is if the grapevines are on land that is not hers, well, then it's possible to keep it or sell it. But if the grapevines are on land that does belong to her, then everyone would agree, would agree that they should not be sold. Even Tanakama would agree with Rabbi Uda that they should not be sold because these are things that she brought in from her father's house. And so they have a value to her father's house. And, and in the end, even if they die, she'll still have access to the land. So the principle remains. So therefore, they should not be sold. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.